Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. For thou art the potter and we are the clay. Mold us and make us after thy will while we're here waiting and still. That's the spirit I hope in which we have gathered tonight, wanting God to have his way in our lives. My name is Hal Brady and I want to welcome you to this service. It is always my prayer that you will be blessed by the word and the music. Would you hear now please the reading of God's word? It comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 beginning at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. May God add this reading and bless it to our hearing. 
Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, which are our strength and our redeemer, thank you for this time together. It's in your name. Amen. There's the international scene. Will wars or the threat of wars ever cease? Will there be enough food and clothing for all the people in the world? There's the national scene. What about our ailing economy, our struggling educational system, our rising crime rate? Then there's the personal scene. Maybe we're having trouble with our employment, or maybe we don't have a job at all, or maybe we are ill, or maybe we are growing older, or maybe the paraplegic in the 4th of July was speaking for us when he shouted, who's ever going to love me? In the midst of all of this and so much more, Jesus comes up and says these words, these strange words, do not be anxious about your life. Do not worry about anything. Jesus, are you serious, we ask? We are only human, you know. And yet Jesus is serious. And we can have that confidence as we read the sixth chapter and hear his words. Therefore, I tell you, he said, do not be anxious. Worry about your life. Sometimes we tend to forget that the little word, therefore, is there. This is a very important word. It is a, a word of paramount importance. It is a connecting word. This word connects Jesus' concern about our excessive worry against our choosing God over mammon. He's suggesting that we can overcome our worry if we choose God over mammon. Now, what is mammon? These are the facets of worldly life. We're talking about all of those facets. To put God first in one's life is the way to overcome our worry. But now we're getting ahead of ourselves at this point. What is worry anyway? Worry is when fear triumphs over faith. Fear triumphs over faith. The word worry is derived from an Anglo-Saxon word meaning to strangle or to choke. We know for a fact God's creative abilities within us are choked off or strangled when we get too much involved with excessive worry. A man was talking to a, a job applicant. He said to the job applicant, I'm looking for somebody to do all my worries for me. In other words, I want you to take all my concerns and they'll become your concerns. And the applicant said, well, that seems to be a big job. How much will I get? And the man said, well, you're going to receive $20,000 to make your concerns and my concerns all the same. You'll get $20,000. The applicant said, well, where is that $20,000 coming from? The man said, ah, oh, that's your first worry. Today, we want to focus on worry. We want to focus on worry, and I want to talk about three facets of it. So I pray that you will listen and hear. Don't worry. That's a tall order, a tall order indeed. First of all, there's the task of worry, the task of worry. Numerous people in our time fail to distinguish between intelligent concern and lopsided concern, lopsided concern. The wisdom Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount is not take no thought for tomorrow, as one translation suggests. It's not take no thought for tomorrow. As a matter of fact, it's the very opposite of that if you get right down to it. It's taking thought for tomorrow. That is the way of Christ in the essence of discipleship. Imagine where the church or the nation would be if there were no thought 
for tomorrow. Think of Jesus' parables. How many of these parables had to do with taking thought for tomorrow, the parable of the tower, building the tower, the parable of the talents, of the soils, and many others, always telling us to take thought for tomorrow. That was the point of those parables. Take thought for tomorrow. Hear me now. It is not responsible foresight that Jesus is forbidding in our text. As a matter of fact, some worry or anxiety is important. Some worry or anxiety is important if tomorrow is going to be successful. So do not worry about tomorrow is better translated. Do not be distracted about tomorrow. The late Carl Michelson noted, nothing significant is ever accomplished without worry because worry spurs us to action and promotes conditions favorable to the carrying out of our commitments, thus reaffirming the fact that we are supposed to worry about some things. In one of my active years as a pastor, I received a newsy letter from a friend of mine who was also my professor of homiletics preaching at the Candle School of Theology, Dr. John Brockoff. A professor to the very end, this is what he wrote me at the end of the letter. Listen to this paragraph. He said, before I close, I feel like I ought to give you a piece of advice. Maybe you're already doing it and it's not needed because you have this large and pivotal church as well as a regular weekly TV audience. It is so very important that you schedule 20 hours each week in study lest you become shallow, moralistic, and repetitious. Because of your position as spokesman of the church, you need to study so that you will have a divine message for today's perplexed people. So in signing off, God bless you and your preaching ministry. I long to see you in person and especially my tennis partner. He's talking about my wife. What a wonderful encouragement for prudent foresight for me or any other would-be preacher of the gospel. There are some things we are absolutely supposed to worry about. Three ladies were standing at the foot of the stairs. One of them said, I don't remember whether I've just come down the stairs or going up the stairs. The other one said, well, I've just come from the refrigerator, and I don't remember whether I put something in or pulled something out. The other said, well, thank goodness I don't have that problem. I knock on wood. Is there somebody at the door? There are some things we ought to worry about, all of us. Some worry is good and necessary for every one of us. In one of his, his books, Bishop Ernest Fitzgerald described an interview he saw with an American statesman. He was asked by the interviewer, who has most influenced your life? And he replied, a fifth grade teacher, a fifth grade teacher. He said she was firm, but she was also fine. And paper after paper we turned in, she would put this on the paper when she gave it back to us. You can do better than this. You can do better than this. That's the task of worry. And that's the way it is with all of us. The task of worry says, you can do better than this. You can do better than this. And we know that that is true. We can do better than this. And then there is the tension of worry. The tension of worry. Excessive worry is a disease. No question about that. And many people are afflicted by it. I remember one of the Peanuts cartoons that I enjoyed the most. Charlie Brown was in the nurse's office. He was waiting on the nurse, and he said, oh, I'm just waiting here for the nurse. And then he said, when she comes in, maybe she'll just take my temperature and look at my throat. 
Then he became more worried. He said, well, maybe she'll take a blood sample. I hope she doesn't take a blood sample. Then he said, well, maybe she'll weigh me. But he said, if she mentions exploratory surgery, I think I will scream. Strictly speaking, excessive worry is the inability to let go of a difficulty, whether that is real or imaginary. We simply take it and we turn it over and over in our minds and around and around it goes, and we simply cannot let it go. Such devastating worry often causes mental disease, physical discomfort, and spiritual numbness. When someone says, I'm worried sick, that may not be an exaggeration. Worry excessively does make us sick. It really does. It causes nervous breakdowns. It causes skin rashes. It causes heart attacks. It causes all kinds of things when we excessively worry. It causes us not to be ourselves. It causes us to become paralyzed in our actions. It causes us to lose perspective, like the father who called the his wife's obstetrician during the night and said, the labor pains are regular. And the doctor said, is this your first child? He said, no, I'm the father. You see, it caused this father to lose perspective. That's what excessive worry does for all of us. It causes us to lose perspective. And then excessive worry also destroys the spiritual vitality of our lives. Actually, it's a form of agnosticism. When we excessively worry, we are denying the adequacy of God. We don't think God can meet our needs and the needs of others around us. You remember in that passage, Jesus talked about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. He was telling us that we humankind are more important than any of these things. The question comes to all of us, are you not more important than they? Are you not more important than they? Elizabeth Cheney's poem says it well. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin. Friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Excessive worry is such a pathetic indication of our lack of faith. It means that we do not believe that we have a God who loves us and is able to take care of us. It means that we do not believe what the scripture insists that our God is sufficient to handle all of our needs in every kind of trouble. It means that God loves us. I read somewhere that one of the months more than any other is the main month for suicides in this country. This is based on a study of 37,000 people in a, in a particular poll that occurred in a recent year in the United States. It wasn't January, the cold month. It wasn't March, the windy month. It was May. Hard to believe. Surprise, surprise. When the sunlight begins to boom again through the fresh growth of the season, when we have the birds chirping louder than ever before, and yet it's in that month that more people take their own lives than any other. Now what this tells us is that worry is no respecter of age, it's no respecter of the seasons of our lives. Worry will kill us. It really will. So we have to be aware of the tension of worry. The tension of worry. And then finally, I want to talk to you a few minutes about the treatment of worry. The treatment of worry. The fog was so thick, you could cut it with a knife. The pilot was beginning to panic. He was enveloped 
by a cloud bank. He could not see a thing. He began to lose direction. The plane began to go round and round, and it began to torpedo down toward the earth through an opening in the clouds. In a little while, the voice from the ground said, Pull up, pull up, you're going to crash on the runway. The voice came back from the plane, Which way is up, which way is up? In a few minutes, that was a crash. The fellow lost his life. His funeral was a few days later. He had died. Now, when they came back with the reason for that accident, the follow-up talked about vertigo. Vertigo means dizziness, or it means a loss of direction. You see, that's what happened to this pilot. He got into a situation where he lost direction, he lost balance, he lost his equilibrium. And ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what excessive worry does for us. It causes us to lose our balance, to lose our equilibrium. It causes us to lose our direction. Now, I want to read you a couple of verses out of this text because it reminds us of how worry can be treated. Listen. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things, but strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But first of all, here are the ways we can treat our worry. Number one, own your limitations. Own your limitations. Every one of us at this moment should begin getting our thinking straight. We should resign our position as CEO of the universe. We're not big enough or strong enough to carry the world's worries. There are shoulders stronger than ours, and those shoulders can carry the burdens of the world. That's what was being said here when it said, Jesus knows, Jesus knows. I remember years ago, I was having the worship service on a Sunday following the Oklahoma City tragedy, and I remember I got a little choked up in the sermon and had to pause. After the sermon, a television interviewer came up and said, you're considered to be a man of strength. How can you explain that emotional pause. I said, well, I really can't explain it. I said, some things are close to your heart. I said, but I believe that God uses polished and unpolished. This was just one of those unpolished moments that I trust that God will handle and use for his purposes. So own your limitations. And then secondly, get your priorities straight. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I want you to notice that Jesus gave these words after he had talked about divided loyalty. It was a warning. He was telling us to put God first, to put God first. Too often we put ourselves first, and the result of that is all kinds of turmoil. It's all kinds of fears and worries and anxiety. God tells us to put him first. In reality... Jesus is telling us to make our lives count for something, to get ourselves involved in the things of the reign of God, the kingdom of God, and not just such earthly things that so many of us tend to all the time. I think it was the poet that said, we're not here to play to dream and drift. We have work to do. Shun not the struggle, face it, tis God's gift. And then thirdly, live one day at a time. Live one day at a time. A man said that he wasn't concerned about the past and just today. But then he said, tomorrow is God's day. It will be mine. But he said, there is left for me only one day. Only one day. 
And he said, anybody can fight the battles of a single day. I was just talking to somebody before I came out here that talked about living one day at a time. How absolutely correct and right that person is. And then, after we live one day at a time, and then we can substitute blessings for worries. I read a book the other day, and the author was talking about self-talk. Self-talk. And she said there are advantages to talking to yourself for interior talk. That way, she said, we can replace negative talk with positive talk. It's the same thing as the hymn writer put when he said, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And then we can take Paul's advice. What did Paul say? Have this mind among you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then he went on, and he said in Philippians 4, 6, this passage, he said, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Paul is telling us there are two ways to overcome our worry. One is through prayer, second through gratitude. So if we are proficient in prayer and if we are grateful in the heart, we can deal pretty positively with our worry. And then lastly, act on your faith in God and trust Him. In the final analysis, this is the only way to really overcome excessive worry. Act on our faith in God and trust Him. Years ago, a man came to my parsonage. He knocked on the door, and when I opened the door, and he came in the house. He looked at me as if he was struggling for something to say, and he simply said, thanks for everything. I'm moving this week. Well, I began to think, what in the world had I done for this man? I could think of absolutely nothing. And so I said to him, well, I don't really know what I've done. And then he said this. He said, you were there if I needed you. He said, it helped me so much to know that you were there if I needed you. That's something of what Jesus is saying about God. God is always there. God is always sustaining. God is always providing. God is always strengthening us in whatever issue we are facing. You know, the king of England, back during World War I, decided to send Christmas cards to every one of his soldiers. One particular soldier had not received any cards. He had not received any presents. And this is what he said. He said, even if everybody else forgets, my king remembers. I hope you'll remember that. Even if everybody else forgets, my king remembers. What was that admonition? Don't worry. A tall order. But our Christ is of a taller order. And he's with us and concerned about us, everyone. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for this night and this time together. We are grateful for your word, and we pray that you would enable us to cast our worries upon the altar of love, which is your altar. We thank you, O oh God, for being with us, for knowing about us, for making us, for keeping us, for forgiving us, for loving us, and for wanting to use us. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful and to cast our worries aside to bear the burdens of others and to share those burdens in the full confidence that you're with us and them and you know all about everything. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this service tonight and I trust you have been blessed 
And I thank you that you are a blessing. Good night. Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air, so please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031 or you can give securely online at HalBradyMinistries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.